Hi, I'm Tom Zalatni, and you're listening to the No Bad Food Podcast. If you're new here, welcome. This is a show about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. Our mandate is simple, to explore, taste, and learn about food in ways that celebrate all the things that make it great. Every week we dig into a different dish, meal, ingredient, cuisine, or piece of food media, exploring the history and culture around it, sharing favorite recipes, and learning from our wonderful guests. The only rule? You gotta love it. After all, there's no such thing as bad food. Before we dig in, I'd like to take a minute to acknowledge that the studio where I'm recording is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember when the lands we occupy are not our own, and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. A large part of these kinds of conversations is thinking about, you know, ways to keep the planet alive. Um, a, a major thing that came along with colonialism was uh, an active hostility toward nature and the planet, and a lot of industrialization practices that destroyed nature and the planet. And a lot of indigenous communities continue to suffer to this day because of the way that frankly, white colonizers came over and started doing all of the industrializing of this place. So uh, yeah, I'm really excited for today's episode where we're talking to someone who is at the forefront of this kind of movement of of food that saves the planet, (laughs) regenerative food, if you will. Um, And so I want to encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and the food that you eat and how it, you know, harms or heals the planet Uh, and you know talk to your local indigenous communities talk to your local indigenous chefs they they might have some interesting stuff to say in regards to that in light of all of that because uh i guarantee they have been thinking about it a lot longer than you have All right, on that note, we are going to get right into today's show today's show is all about kelp kelp is a seaweed kind of plant it grows in the oceans it is leafy it is a little bit like kale of the ocean it's it's wet and it's green and it's really freaking good for the planet and i am really excited for you to hear my conversation today with our special guest who knows a whole lot about it and is marketing a product that is uh frankly i think kind of revolutionary and making me think about kelp in a bigger way than i honestly ever have before so here we go enjoy Our guest today is Pat Schnettler, co-founder and CEO of 12 Tides, a sustainability-centric brand that prides themselves on offering puffed kelp chips that allow consumers a delicious way to make a big impact on our oceans. Pat, thank you so much for joining us on No Bad Food. Thank you for having me. So we are going to hear all about the work you're doing at 12 Tides in a minute, but at the beginning of the show, we always like to ask our guests to tell us about themselves a little bit. So tell me about, you know, who you are, where you grew up, how you grew up eating, what you eat now. Paint us a picture of your relationship with food kind of writ large. Yeah. Um, Well, I guess you could say I grew up in sort of an ultra conservationist family. My um, mom worked in conservation and for the Nature Conservancy for her entire career. So that sort of relationship with nature was always sort of a central part of what we did as a family and and what I, how I spent my time as a child. That didn't particularly, so I I did grow up in in Minnesota and I grew up in the 90s. And so it didn't really impact the way we ate, I think, the way sustainability is so intimately tied in with the food choices that we make today. Mm-hmm. And so 
you know, I, I was eating the same stuff that most you know, 90s kids were eating, like <laughs> sugary cereals and um, soda and plain classic, uh, you know, boring Minnesota food like meat and potatoes. Sure. So, yeah, that was uh, that was most of the, the childhood. And then, you know, after I graduated college, I started to, well, I was an engineer in college and I didn't really like the engineering part of that. Because most of it was sort of computer centric, and I, I just I'd spent so much time. I think when I was a child, you know, me being more of a uh, you know participant in the, the physical world, that I wanted to do something a little bit closer to what I could sort of see, touch, and feel, and then something related to sustainability and conservation. Because I think when I was a, a kid, I, I sort of you know that was like parents jobs and it was like not cool but then after i graduated <laughs> college i you know started to to gravitate more toward uh toward that stuff and so and i started to get involved in food uh, i did a couple of years of consulting you know mostly in kind of different parts of the food space um and i think it was for that intimate tie-in which has become maybe more apparent over the past 10 or 12 years between the food system and nature and the environment. And so I started to get a little bit into food and then uh, sort of stumbled my way over to uh, seafood. And I think just the opacity of, of the world of global seafood and the way that drives horrendously unsustainable practices throughout the supply chain, um, I thought was really interesting. It's a place where I could have a lot of impact, you know, with my career from an environmental standpoint. And so it was a place where I started to dive in deeper. Cool. Well, yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's really neat. I, I think there's something really cool about like having that sort of family connection to this kind of stuff. Cause I think, I mean, like you said, you know, growing up in the nineties, we didn't have the language, right? We didn't have the concepts that we have now at least not as like present at the forefront of the way we think about food and like it's neat to know I guess that it's neat to know that your parents were already thinking about this stuff like 20 years ago because I know my mom wasn't and like I think you and I probably grew up very similar <laughs> like eating a lot of you know convenience foods and whatever was available and accessible and like these things I know I certainly didn't start thinking about sustainability until I was in my 20s and like that I'm in my 20s still right so it's like it, it feels new so it's nice to know that it's not as new as it feels yeah yeah well I think the other interesting thing that changed from the 90s to today is just transparency mm -hmm. and I think obviously the proliferation of the internet and Google and and social media you know back in the 90s like the transparency stopped at like the big CPG players like you know Nestle, Mars, you know, the, we knew that Nestle made this particular thing and then nobody knew what happened behind that. Right. And or, you know how that food was actually, you know, produced, where it came from, the impact it has on you know, people in the communities. And now all that stuff is out in the open. And so it's, you know, forced I guess number one consumers to sort of think about you know, what types of products and brands that they want to align themselves with and and second um, made corporates take a harder look about some of the places where maybe uh, you know, corners were were being cut. Yeah, exactly. That's it. It's like we we as consumers started to realize that we wanted more information than we were getting, and they had to uh, 
they had to keep up with us, right? Yeah. Do you uh do you find that because you mentioned you had an engineering background has has that made a difference for you in the work that you do with food now like has have you been able to tie that in at all or uh, is that just sort of a chapter that you've left behind? Uh, not not really, um, or not directly. I think there's some pretty indirect things like sure. you know how do you sort of break down a problem into its component parts and then solve each one and you know make things more manageable that way. There, you know, I took some design classes as part of my engineering degree, and I think that element of design and you know how you do user testing and really solve a problem for somebody and, and iterate and all of that stuff, I think has been helpful in um, you know starting a company. But uh, I don't, I don't type uh, too much like C plus <laughs> plus. Sure. Work. Yeah, I mean that's fair. That that makes sense. Like I, I think that it's it's always nice to be able to find those little things where it's like, yeah, this thing that I did like is not what I'm ultimately doing, but it planted some seeds or it gave me some like skills or some tools that I can use for the thing I'm currently doing. Like I really am a firm believer in this idea that like no time is wasted, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And even if it's like a negative signal, like I did an internship that was like hardcore engineering internship with undergrad. And I was like, this is not the spot for me. Like, Yeah, that's okay. Sometimes it's like a little bit of process of elimination, but then it helped me direct myself to something that I'd be more excited about. Yeah, totally. That's it. Sometimes you need to like get a job that you hate to figure out what kind of jobs you hate so that you can avoid them going forward. Yeah. Okay. I got to ask, you said you grew up in Minnesota and then you said you started to get into seafood. How did that start to happen? Because I don't really think of Minnesota being as landlocked as it is as being a big seafood place. I mean, like there's there's lakes, obviously, but like, how do you how did that like love for seafood come about? Yeah, well, I should caveat it with saying I, I never lived in Minnesota past uh, high school. And so okay, okay. That, <laughs> uh, Sydney and uh, New York and Johannesburg and obviously San Francisco. So was lucky enough to move around quite a bit after that. But also, uh, you know, A, my mom's worked with the Nature Conservancy. Obviously, they, you know, uh, the ocean is a, a focal point of, of a lot of what they, they do. Mm-hmm. I think coming from my mom, like, you know, we were lucky enough to be able to you know, go travel to the ocean. And I got scuba certified when I was like 13. And, nice. Um, that was like a big deal. I really loved doing that from the, the first time I did it. The other connection that I had was my sister after she graduated. We've all sort of gone a sustainability direction with our career. She was a marine biologist and ended up working for the National Marine Fishery Service in oh, Washington, cool. D.C. I think it was um, you know, by osmosis I started to learn a little bit about what the seafood industry, in particular in the United States, looks like, but um, you know how the global uh, competitive environment and, and uh, atmosphere sort of supply chains uh, impacts that. Cool. I, I love that. I love that it like continued to be a family affair too. That's uh, your parents must be like, n- like not to be corny, but your parents must be pretty proud. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. They, <laughs> my parents were very hands off, so they never really like pushed us in any one direction or another. But I think the fact that all of us have sort of ended up in this, uh, sustainability or conservation related space i I don't think that they would uh object to that yeah that's it it's like even if they didn't push you toward it it's clear that like those values got imparted which is neat yeah definitely i love that 
All right, we are going to take a quick hop over to the mid-roll where you can find out how to support the show. And then when we get back, we're going to talk more with Patch Nettler about 12 Tides. Hello, welcome to the mid-roll. If you're enjoying the show so far, make sure to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so that you never miss a new episode. While you're at it, consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or sharing this episode with a friend. For every new rating and review we get during the month of September, we will be donating $2 to The Depot, our local food bank here in NDG. They can turn every $1 into $3 worth of food for a family in need, so by doing the simple free act of leaving a rating and review of the show, you're basically donating $6 worth of food to people who need it. There's literally no other way to turn zero into six, so if that math is exciting for you, go do it. You can read all about what The Depot is doing at the link in the description of this episode. This show has some exciting new merch available as well. If you like the show, if you like the bear in our logo designed by David Flam, and you want to get that bear on a snapback or maybe a tote bag, to get your groceries with. Maybe you want it on an apron and you want to uh, say wear an apron that says no bad food on it while you're cooking so that people come into the kitchen and they're like, mmm, dinner smells good. What you making? You can turn and be like, I'm not making anything bad. I'll tell you that much. You can get all kinds of no bad food merch at our merch store, the Podcavern merch store run by our lovely Podcavern network. (laughs) You can go to the link in the description of this episode to get all sorts of great stuff there. There's shirts, there's hats, there's aprons, there's baby stuff. There's uh, mugs and uh, bah, 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 other things. I think I listed most of the things, honestly. Go check it out. Podcavern. Merch. Buy it. That's enough for me. Let's get back to my conversation with Patch Nettler. All right, we are back. So this is the part of the show we've all been waiting for, where we get to find out everything about puffed kelp chips. Now, uh, I grew up on the West Coast in Vancouver, and I'm no stranger to kelp as a concept. Uh, you know, it's 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 an ocean plant. Uh, it's got the oceany saltiness that comes along with it. But uh, I am really intrigued to hear about you know the work that you guys are doing at Twelve Tides. So. What brought this about? What are you guys doing to set the product apart and, and make it really special? What's uh, what's the kind of elevator pitch here? Yeah, we source organic kelp from regenerative ocean farms here in the U.S. Make it into tasty and ocean-positive foods. So so kind of stemming from the, the backstory I was, we were just discussing, I started to get pretty involved in seafood, and I did all sorts of things over the period of, of seven, eight years I worked on uh, factory trawlers in Alaska, fish farm in Mexico, shrimp farms in Indonesia, seafood distribution in Australia, fish factory in Germany. And so all of the uh, horrifying elements of the world of global seafood, <laughs> the impact it has on uh, marine ecosystems. And I wasn't very excited about that. For the most part, the more you pop the hood open, the uglier it gets. Sure. I wanted to find a way to improve the relationship between our food system and the oceans. And I was kind of looking at everything I saw in seafood and I was like, you know, we could improve all of the, you know, we can improve shrimp farming and, you know, net pen, like fish farming, you know, here and there kind of along the margins, but the best possible scenario um, for most of that stuff for the planet would be neutral. And it, right. they're probably, a, you know, we'll never actually get to neutral. So, you know, that's that's kind of the best case scenario. But from all my time in seafood, I started to get to meet some people who were growing kelp on these sort of regenerative ocean farms. 
And I thought the idea that we can produce nutrient-dense food with zero inputs, but in a way that has a net positive impact on surrounding marine ecosystems was, was really compelling because you make that very significant jump from do less bad to do active good. And I <laughs> thought um, you know, that was really interesting. I wanted to try to help make that a bigger part of the food system. I love that. What does it mean to, to like, like, how does that work? How does it work that you are farming the kelp while simultaneously giving back to the ocean? Like what's the, what's the process there? How does that, how does that add up to a net gain? Yeah. So, uh, farming the kelp, um, actually has a, a direct benefit for the ecosystems in which it's being farmed. And, and so I think that's what ties the positive impact to our business model in a very you know, one-for-one fashion because you really can't have one without the other. And the, the way that kelp does that is kelp grows very quickly. Um, seasonal crops so grows you know, once a year over the period of six months. And in growing very quickly, it so kelp has a range of benefits. This is like one example. But uh, it also it absorbs a lot of carbon as it grows quickly. And the oceans absorb about 50% of the carbon dioxide that we throw off into the atmosphere. And that inundation of excess carbon in the oceans is one of the factors driving acidification. And acidification is you know, one of the greatest risks to um, you know, not only the oceans, but to biodiversity on the planet. And so by growing more kelp uh, in the ocean and, and increasing the overall biome mass of kelp in the ocean, we can mitigate acidification um, at least on sort of a localized level for the coastal areas that surround these kelp farms. So let me get this straight. So the kelp acts a little bit like how trees act when it comes to carbon dioxide, right? Like they absorb it and put mm-hmm. out put out better stuff or just absorb it? Like what's the, is there also like a, an output that they have or is it just an absorption? It's, yeah, it's more of just an absorption. Okay, okay. But then it grows, I imagine kelp probably grows considerably faster than a tree, right? Yeah. Our kelp that we farm can grow up to a foot in a day. Incredible. Giant kelp can grow up to two feet in a day. Okay, okay. Okay, so I'm seeing I'm seeing the picture here. Like, this is kind of like when you go out to, you know, the Pacific Northwest and plant trees for the summer, only then you're harvesting the trees, but it's totally fine to have harvested the trees because they've already done their job. But instead mm-hmm. of having to wait like 100 years for the trees to be able to do their job really well, it takes like three, four days. Yeah. Incredible. A, a couple of months. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. I love that. That's uh, that's really neat. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. We have a small network of farmers in the U.S. that we work with directly. Um, and so we do have that, you know, obviously like end-to-end you know, transparency. I, I mean, the other cool things I would say about kelp is that um, – and I sort of alluded to this, but it's a zero input crop. So right. once you get it into the oceans, it just sits there and grows. <laughs> so no pesticides, no fertilizers, no arable land, uh, no fresh water, which has become an increasingly scarce resource. Sure. And so it you know provides some sort of differentiation or you know variety to our, our food system, which is uh, or biodiversity really to our food system that uh, it's. it's desperately needed it is also maybe the most resource efficient way of producing food on the planet or one of 
you know, one of the challenges is that the ocean is a pretty inhospitable place. Sure. Uh, and so everything gets more challenging and, and uh, more expensive and, and more more difficult in, in the ocean. And so, you know, I, I think the kelp industry in, in uh, the United States is still trying to find ways to overcome that, to, mm-hmm. to try to get to an efficiency level a little bit closer to terrestrial crops. Sure. But, uh, it's, um, you know, everybody's, uh, you know, kind of up and down, whether it's the farmers or, you know, processing or, you know, people with us and making chips uh, for the end markets. Um, everybody's kind of innovating and, and figuring it out throughout the whole the whole ecosystem. That's really cool. It, it must be exciting to be at the sort of like early end of this like process as well, right? To be getting to see this industry grow and like watch it kind of develop in that way. Yeah, you know, it's it's exciting for sure. Exciting time for kelp. Uh, there's still a lot of work to be done though on sort of the consumer, you know, education and just, mm-hmm. you know, telling the story of kelp. And there's a lot of sort of challenges, I guess, you know, whether it's financing or, you know, the supply chain and like processing capabilities, working directly with the farmers, a lot of challenges that you maybe wouldn't have starting another start food startup where all that stuff kind of just exists. So it's definitely like a layer of complexity on our business that maybe you know, it's, it's not there for most startups. It's one of those things where like, you're not just making a new potato chip, which has a built-in audience. You have to kind of find the niche and, and grow the niche and like market it in a more intentional way, right? Yep. Well, okay, so so let's do it. Let's, uh, why should my listeners eat your chips? Like apart from obviously the sustainability. <laughs> and that, And that's always the most important thing. Like you, especially for something that we're doing where it's a brand new ingredient where most people probably never even like heard the word kelp before. Like maybe they heard it on SpongeBob once or something. Sure. But, you know, that first experience that you have with that thing that you know, you've never heard of before, it's got to taste amazing. Like that is just, it's so, so important. If it tastes like crap, then kelp is probably dead to you forever and so we spent a lot of time you know we were at farmers markets for you know years like iterating on the recipes and we found a chef here in the city to like really help us take things up a notch and so uh, the first thing i would say it's just like a great tasting chip and i know you got to try to uh you know figure that out but i you know that's the most important factor for us because that's that's the only thing that will help people buy like more than once uh, sure yeah it's a, kind of the only factor in, in sort of repeat purchase and then you know secondly is that kelp is sort of like kale from the oceans but with you know zero percent of the pesticides that regular kale has and you know with that comes a lot of sort of nutrient density um, that you obviously wouldn't get in corn, wheat, rice, and potato. Sure. And I think from a, a health standpoint, you know, we provide sort of a, a better option. And, you know, they're baked and not fried and, um, you know, clean ingredients. We make them ourselves. So we're not like subject to manufacturers like trying to slide in weird shit to <laughs> make their line run more efficiently. Sure. So in that sense, it's a, it's a better option than probably your regular potato chips. And then lastly is that, you know, it has this regenerative 
idea. So it's, you know, every, the more chips that we can make, the more kelp goes into the ocean. And it's, it's like one for one. Like we, we tell the kelp farmers like how much we need before the season. And like, the more we can tell them, like the more kelp they're going to put into the ocean and the more we can help those ecosystems and you can't have one without the other. And so I think by supporting us, you support a, a business model that um, does have that, you know, sort of one for one, you know, positive impact. Um, it's not just a, you know, charitable giving commitment or I don't know, some like kind of like tertiary you know, impact. It's a, it's a direct one for one impact with, um, you know, marine health. Yeah. And that's huge, right? Cause we don't, as far as I'm aware anyway, like I can't think of anything else like that, right? Where if you're someone who wants to, I hate the phrase vote with your wallet, but like if you're someone who wants to vote with your wallet and buy products that like directly give back and directly support, you know, saving the planet, this is one of those rare opportunities where you can really, really do that. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's it's starting to get there. I think we're, we're at the very forefront of the regenerative food movement mm-hmm. and you know that that's basically the idea of, of regenerative agriculture and regenerative food is active benefit for the ecosystem it's not just like sustainable sustainable is like flat but it's it's mm-hmm. a upward line and that's it's very difficult it's very difficult to achieve it's very difficult to measure um and so there's still we're in the very early days of of that, but it, I think in the same way we saw organic food kind of explode from the early '90s to today, and I wouldn't say explode. Actually, I, I mean it, it's been a, you know a very steady upward line over the course of um, you know 10, 20 years, and I would expect the sure, same yeah. thing for you know regenerative food as really being sort of a defining trend of the next um, you know 10 or 20 years, and and you know, I think consumers wanting to support a restructuring of the food system in a way that has positive environmental impact and ultimately, you know, the whole supply chain and producers, um, you know, finding ways to restructure their operations or, or support that. Yeah, well, that makes sense. I, I'm trying to think of like, I think the the closest that I've seen anyone else come with this is like honey production, right? Where... We need to save the bees. This has been well established. If people haven't heard, the bees exist and need saving. And one way to save them is by consuming more honey, because the more demand there is for honey, the more people will, you know, create bee operations that, like, help the bees make honey. Because you need healthy, happy bees in order to make honey. And, like, there are, obviously, there are always going to be kind of crappy industrialization sides to that industry, but there's a lot of people who are making, like, smaller batch or, like, medium-sized batch, but with more ethical, like, bee-forward practices, for lack of a better phrase. And, like, if you get your, like, local organic honeys, that, that supports that, right? And so that's like that's one of those things right where you we have these goods we have these luxury goods these snack foods that we have gotten used to over the years like chips like refined sugars that if we can find ways to replace them with products that are regenerative or at least sustainable 
we can kind of slowly reverse some of the damage that we've done to the planet over the past couple hundred years. And that's huge. That's that's a huge and important thing for us to be trying to do. Yeah, to- totally agreed. I think the, the only other example I would give in the um, seafood world would be uh, shellfish. Um, I think shellfish, you know, farm shellfish have a lot of the same benefits. It's a zero input, not sure I'd say crop, but uh, <laughs> zero input process. And, um, you know, they're filter feeders and they, you know, via their filter feeding, they, um, number one, uh, absorb a lot of carbon as well. And number two, um, improve the overall quality for, you know, outside marine life. It's, it's there's a reason they're part of, you know, thriving marine ecosystems in the wild. And so I think that's sort of another good example. There's, there's not a lot of you know, that we have in the, the seafood space um, that is regenerative, but that's kind of another example. Sure. If we're farming seafood, they're not crops, like you said. Does that make them livestock? Can we think of shrimp as livestock? Like, I kind of hate it, but I think that's it, right? Like, that, those are the two categories of thing that you farm. Yeah, well, shrimp is a little <laughs> bit different. Obviously, I, I worked in the uh, kind of shrimp farming industry in um, Indonesia, and, and, you know, there you have to farm shrimp in these brackish water ponds. And, you know, for the most part, you know, mangroves and, you know, critical ecosystems are getting whacked out to build these ponds. Mm-hmm. Um the impact and and shrimp are not zero input so you yeah. have to you know feed shrimp and um you know the feeding practices um that are often done have you know horrendous implications for uh, the soil and and the ecosystems around these these ponds so so you're thinking more like scallops and and oysters and things like that or what yeah yeah sh- shellfish um, okay like that those would be the the types of things that um and and, you know i i've uh it's a i i've always thought that they're a little bit of a gray area between like crops and like animals like (laughs) even some like vegan friends that i have um are okay with shellfish because they don't have a central nervous system so it's like they there starts to be a fine line between like kind of plant and animal and and i think they're a little bit in in the middle there they're like they're like Wherever mushrooms are on that line, they're like yeah. right on the opposite side of the line of the mushroom. You know, where mushrooms are right in the middle, but on the plant side, shellfish are yeah. like right on the animal side. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> so if you're okay with eating mushrooms as a vegan, you can eat, you know, scallops. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, without a central nervous system, you know, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Anyways, I, I, some people have strong feelings about it, so I won't get too. too sure, into it. sure, yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, okay, so how many flavors do you have right now of of the puffed kelp chips? What can we expect if we're, you know, buying a couple bags of them? Yeah, we've got three flavors right now. Sea salt is the original everything, like the bagel and a chili. We've also got two more coming out, uh, which are going to be awesome, uh, awesome flavors. Um, if any of your listeners want to try them, they should uh, get on our email list on our website. We're going to be sending out um, sort of the first pilot versions of the new flavors in the next couple of weeks. And, you know, beyond that, there's so many interesting, you know, things that we can do with kelp that utilize both the, the taste and the new unique textural properties um, of kelp, you know, in addition to obviously the you know, sustainability element. So, you know, we've got plans for you know, quite a few more products after this. 
Cool. Well, I'm excited to see where it goes from here. You guys are like relatively new, eh? Like within the past year or two? Uh, we launched in, uh, we got our first retail account in November of 2020. Okay. Uh, before that, we had been working on it for a couple of years, really at that farmer's market sort of level. Sure, yeah. I'm just trying to see what would what would hit. Amazing. Well, I'm I'm very excited to uh, to see how it goes from here. I'm excited to try these out as well. I'm looking forward to. Uh, I feel like especially like everything bagel flavored kelp sounds really good to me. So I'm like I'm looking forward to giving that a shot. Yeah, that that one's probably my favorite. If I had to pick a favorite child. Yeah, it's hard, right? Like, I mean, you know, you you gotta love all <laughs> of them. But <laughs> yeah. I, to me, like, I mean, maybe it's just because I'm a Montrealer. But like, when you tell me something tastes like an everything bagel, I'm gonna go for it. 100% of the time. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd recommend it. How uh, how kelpy are they, like, in terms of flavor? Like, do they, do you guys, is it kelp forward or is the kelp kind of, like, hidden? Kelp, kelp is our number one ingredient, but I, I would say that, you know, most people, when they think of seaweed, they think of nori. Um, the, sure. The seaweed that you're eating with, you know, sushi and usually, usually you're eating it um, either plain or kind of in its uh, more predominant state. So we do blend the kelp up with some flowers and other, you know, sort of seasonings to build more of a holistic flavor profile. But kelp doesn't have as much seaweediness maybe as, um, you know, nori would. Okay. And so it has a little bit more of like a vegetal nature, maybe a little bit more like a kale would have or, you know, somewhere in between those two things. Okay. And so usually... You know, people are a little surprised. They think it's going to be like eating a handful of the ocean. <laughs> it's, it's not quite like that. Okay. So so there you have it, folks. Whether you like the way the ocean tastes or not, you will like these chips is what I'm hearing. Usually people are pretty surprised. And like even if you know, people don't like those you know, seaweed sheet snacks, sure, um, they'll like our chips anyways because they're almost like closer to um, – a potato chip or like a veggie chip uh, in a way than those seaweed sheets. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, as a, you know, former West coaster, like I'm a, I'm a fan of things that taste like seaweed, but, uh, but I think these also sound like they're going to be fantastic. And I I think it's good that they are a little bit more accessible than that. Cause I know like, I know those like seaweed sheet snacks are kind of like hit or miss for people. I get it. I love them, but I get it. So it's, it's nice to know that there's like an alternative product that's available. That's like, a little bit easier on uh, on palates that maybe aren't as used to uh, the ocean. Yeah, exactly, and, th- and that's exactly <laughs> where we like where we wanted to go with the product. Like, we didn't want it to be like you know a niche thing that you know you could only enjoy if you're like a hardcore seaweed <laughs> person. You know, we really wanted it to be that better for you, better for the planet and the oceans. You know, option for a or, or replacement for a potato chip. Yeah, well, and that makes a lot of sense, right? Like, if you if you want to make the biggest impact you can with this thing, it needs to be accessible. Yep, that's huge. I love that. Well, hey, Pat, thank you so much for this. I'm really excited to uh, to get my hands on these. Are they? Um, what's the current like distribution? Like, if my listeners are are like eager to get their hands on some right away, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, you. So in the U.S., you can find us um, on Thrive Market uh, nationwide. Um, we also have our own website, 12tides.com. And in Canada, I believe uh, Amazon is launching a program now soon that will allow Canadian buyers to buy them on Amazon pretty quickly. But we don't have any other distribution in Canada quite yet. 
Sure. Fair enough. Well, if people in Canada want to get them, find an American friend who will hook you up. Everybody's got at least one pal south of the border who's willing to uh, to be their liaison for that kind of thing. And if you don't, uh, talk to me. I probably know someone who will. Yeah, sounds good. We have ways of getting around these things. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, thank you so much for doing this. Um, one last time before I let you go, will you you know tell everyone where to find you? If you've got any social media you want them to check out, any websites, give us your plugs. Yeah, uh, check us out on Instagram and TikTok. We are at Twelve Tides on both. Perfect. And I will include a link to your website uh, where people can check out all the products and where uh, American listeners can order the products uh, in the description of this episode for ease of access. Patch Nettler, thank you so much for joining us on No Bad Food. Yeah, thanks again, man. And that brings us to the end of our show. Thank you so much for listening to No Bad Food. Do you want to be part of the conversation? Hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at No Bad Food Pod and individually at Teffer Bear and at Tom Zalatni. If you like this episode and want to help us make the show even better, you can go to patreon.com slash nobadfoodpod to donate. For as little as a dollar a month, you'll be joining the ranks of fine folks like Gab, Thomas, Anne, Erica, Carlea, Andrew, Chantal, David, Mallory, and Sarah. Patrons get access to all kinds of awesome perks, including the ability to request topics for episodes of the show. If that's exciting for you, you can go to patreon.com com slash no bad food pod to make it happen we also have merch and you can hit the merch link in the description to get all sorts of great stuff from our lovely friends over at pod cavern get a hat get a snapback i'm getting a snapback get an apron i'm getting an apron too and of course you can support us for free by leaving a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice and by sharing this episode with a friend our theme music is by Zach Kelp Ingalls, and our cover art is by David I Need Somebody Flam. You can find links for both of them in the description of this episode. And last but certainly not least, this show is produced and edited by me, Tom Zalatni, as part of the Podcavern Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at www.podcavern.com. See you next week. You understand. It just takes a little time. It takes No Bad Food is a proud member of the Podcavern Network. For more great shows like this one, head to podcavern.com. Have you ever seen those lists on the internet that's like top five sandwich toppings, top five movies of the year, top five celebrities who have a very punchable face? You know what I'm talking about. The point is, all these lists drive us crazy because we have no idea who made them and how they even narrowed down their top five list. That's where my podcast comes in. My name is Tung La and I am the host of Ranked, top five lists of stuff that don't matter. In every episode, with the help of a motley crew of self-proclaimed experts, we debate, battle, and work together, showing you the entire process of how we got there to create a top five list of any and every topic we can think of, like top five brunch menu items, top five fictional dogs, top five 90 songs, top five Steve's? The list goes on and on, and we will not rest till we rank basically everything. So join us every second Thursday in the pod cavern for ranked top five lists of stuff that don't matter.
Top five, top five, top five. Hi, I'm Tefra Jemian, host and producer on the Yeah! Podcast. Join Yeah! as we dig into young adult literature, reviewing new releases, revisiting old classics, and exploring what YA Lit can teach us at any age. Discover the world of YA Lit through exclusive author interviews, book reviews, genre smackdowns, and more. The Yeah! Podcast, available in the Podcavern, on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever else you find your podcasts. This is our book club, and you're invited. Yeah!